Chapter 8 Communion I remembered again today as we were sitting with the sunset, my first God moments, I called them, as a child. Light coming out in rays behind huge cumulus clouds. Such caught my attention all of the time, as it still does. I will walk for some miles to find the right spot, and like today, drive if I have to. Wynne had just been inside the small harbor store on San Juan Island, looking for something green to add to our supper. Instead, he came out with a bottle of red wine. Well, I couldn't resist, he said, with a look on his face, explaining that it was the special Italian wine we had bought and served at our wedding 15 years plus ago. As we drove towards home, I always call it wherever I am, I noticed the sun in my rearview mirror sneaking out from behind the darkest clouds for the last hurrah of the day. I quickly turned our truck around and headed for the moment. Finding an old plastic bottle, I cut it in half to make the perfect cup for the vino. And behind a fence, out of sight, we found the perfect spot just in time to witness the light, to have a good God moment, to celebrate communion. It was then I remembered my first communion, moving up the aisle towards the rail, the priest offering the body and blood of Christ to be received in the form of a host. Though my attention was meant to be on such, I clearly recall a preoccupation with embarrassment. I looked around filled to the brim with self-consciousness and fear that I was the only one wearing white socks and patent leather shoes. Surely the other 12-year-olds were allowed to wear stockings by this time and even shave their legs. How could I not be able to as well? Standing out was painful. Once front and center, I let it all go and focused on the full potential of this Catholic ritual, providing me a God moment. As the priest came closer, offering communion down the row, all heaven or hell broke loose. Two persons away, a young man screamed out, his body contracted and flailed in a way I had never seen. Shaking violently, he fell to the floor as others, including me, looked on in shock. Now I was certain the Holy Ghost had arrived, while others leaned over and contained him, carried him out, putting something in his mouth between his teeth. It was not the host. The priest carried on, and I opened my mouth to take in the body and blood of Jesus. Later, I heard the description of that experience, an epileptic fit, they called it. For me, his physical experience, whatever catalyzed it, had moved through my whole being, and I felt it was something else. Perhaps that was a significant start in my life of feeling the we, 
so intensely. Maybe in my body, my heart-mind, I could not help but link my relationship with spirit to a co-arising, to a shared experience with others, if not all of life. Perhaps the communion I had touched on the river in the ocean when feeling the magic of planting those cherry trees at age six. Those were the seeds or steps to a greater knowing. Such moments were spirit arriving, confirming that my life, my health, my experience was but a tiny part of life tied, as author Lyle Watson described it. I was so relieved to discover Watson's words and perspectives in my 20s. He was a white man living in Ireland, no less. Nature had been his source of feeling the presence of spirit, supernature, as he called it in another book, as it was mine, source, gateway, even pathway to an experience of oneness, of we, of interdependence, communion. I smiled when I recently heard Gabor Maté, communicator around the wisdom of trauma, say that he did not see entities or spirits, or that which so many people described when imbibing plant medicine. Well, Gabor, nor did I, even with many experiences of medicines, and yet, My body, my being, my senses, my heart-mind has always been significantly affected. I remember when first arriving in California, as well as the first day of my second visit, both times being welcomed into a peyote ceremony. I secretly wondered if the plants had known I was coming as I barely knew the human hosts who invited me. Similarly, with ayahuasca and mushrooms, they each came into my life, not unlike meeting the dolphins, at a time I was in deep need of contact, support, encouragement, love. In 1980, when I attended an Esalen invited conference on health, little did I know staying a day over at the end would lead to many months working with Stan Groff, holotropic breathwork, internship with the Spiritual Emergency Network, another name and forerunner, I feel, of today's trauma network, the fungi mycelium community, now coming up and out from the underground. Perhaps what has been there all along becomes more prominent when the need becomes more evident. When more attention is needed now to heal human disconnection, when the effects of such threaten our very extinction. As indigenous voices are under greatest threat, along with our oceans, forests, and coral reefs, just maybe more and more Western modern people will ask what they, what we have missed, suppressed, forbidden, even criminalized, hopefully not too late, to discover why the ceremonies, the medicine, the pathways to communion that they have carried for so long 
are still essential. As some dive into psychedelics, experimenting with little guidance, others find indigenous teachers and guides. Some work within the establishment to change the approach to healing at its root. Some sadly collect, commodify, commercialize the medicine and the wisdom, as others work to protect, deepen, and respect the sacred. I bear witness and participate quietly, continuing to ask what will serve the individual, the we, the times, the Earthsea community. In the last days on this San Juan Island, I have had a series of dreams, many times lying neither awake or asleep, it seemed. I lay for three hours one night from twelve to three in such a state of surrender, I wondered if this was what dying might feel like. And then, too, I felt so alive, just being quietly awake, not wanting to get up or read, not trying to go back to sleep, just being. Now, this might seem very 101 or even silly to many of you, but for me, it was definitely unique, an experience I might anticipate when in ceremony or communing with nature, but not one I had simply arrived at without intent. At dawn, I felt grateful, actually, rather than anxious or even exhausted. And then yesterday, I tuned in to an hour talk by Teokasan Ghost Horse, a Cheyenne River Lakota brother describing something that felt so simply, deeply true and kind of similar. He spoke of waking with not just a thought, but with an embodied experience of, quote, we are simply always simultaneously living and dying, living and dying at the same time. I always feel it's a small miracle to hear something so confirming at what seems the exact time I so need to hear such. Why such a feeling is noteworthy is that connection, communion, spirit presence has not been as easily available to me when alone, when being still, you know, that great peace within journey we are all meant to have if true transformation and healing in our world is to happen. Some argue it must begin within, while others will at least give us we people a little room to find our way in time. I have sometimes wondered why I couldn't or wouldn't just sit on that meditation pillow longer, or why a few silent retreats were somehow just not enough. Those God moments had not arrived, at least in the way I heard they had with others. And I knew then, as I do now, such are not to be acquired, hired, collected, or even earned. And so I've continued to simply give myself away as best I know how to do.
in my dream, Roger, my partner in the reunion ceremony, we live and offer for many years now, was getting married again to the same woman, Margot. It was quite a gala celebration, and I was a maid of honor, as I think they call them, wearing a long, slinky, white silk gown. Margot arrived in beautiful blue, and all was right. But why, I asked myself, Roger, a second time? The answer clearly came. Because the marriages are vows to each other, to the earth, to be part of the change, the healing, the learning, the love, the truth and reconciliation, they need to be made over and over again. It takes a lot, at least for many of us, to break the patterns of a sick, diseased, disconnected family or culture or even race. And so Roger and I, along with many others, have gone to the high desert mountains to fast and pray over and over again. For me, four days each year for almost 20, and then other times for one or two or three days. Why? Because I knew I needed such. I needed to strengthen my dream, my prayer and action that was so clearly distant from the one I had been raised to live. Why? Because I knew my chance of true communion in heart, body, and mind had a better chance of being realized there, in the high desert, than kneeling on bare or cushioned wooden slats in any church pews under the guidance or instructions of a priest. Why? because a sense of spirit had arrived for me when in nature's company since a child, and I was called to cultivate that relationship, one of awe, humility, wonder, curiosity, love. Walking, swimming, being with water, praying into the sacred fires of ceremony, sleeping in a cabin, next to a small herd of buffalo on Lookout Mountain in Colorado for a year, moving, dancing, dreaming with a pod of dolphins. And then to discover those sacred moments were possible with humans, newly met, some might call strangers, in a council. Once the me, my, mine story was shared, heard, and released, There was and is so often the aha, the peace, a kind of marriage moment experienced within and without. No separation. No huge rays of light inside as the northwest skies share. Yet still, a cellular knowing, best I can say, of oneness, of living, dying, of life-death. And I truly do consider it a miracle that I can feel that as well at times with men. Now, not with all, perhaps, but certainly with the one I chose to marry. How could I really? 
knowing what I do, knowing what men can do and have done. 25 million girls and women, brutal victims of sex trafficking, as but one reminder. And yet, it is possible with a man. As I live into the work to change systemic oppression, I have needed the individual experiences as well as the we ones to awaken trust in communion with those I have feared, hated, or othered in whatever body, race, or gender they are, to find even there moments of home, peace, not so much outside as inside myself. They have been a gateway to spirit, intimacy, and antidote to separation. All of this has helped me balance that life-death struggle I have felt going on inside me since day one. Am I living or dying? Sometimes wanting the latter as I feel powerless, pitiful, futile in love, absent of joy. And then, one moment, an experience at a cellular level, a touch, a breath, a dream, an image, a thought, a rush of energy, or a burst of laughter, spirit can arrive and give me just what I need in order to carry on. All this leading to what? The last part of these love stories, a love of ceremony. I think that's obvious by now. Perhaps I want to acknowledge and express gratitude before signing off for the privilege I have had to live a ceremonial life, to discover a path of learning, growing, healing, a path of truth and love through ceremony. My life today continues because of such, I'm sure. In hindsight, I guess I was or even am continued to be a tough nut to crack open, to change, to heal. I mean, come on, I had to travel all the way to Indonesia to find spirit in the way I was searching for outside of church walls. I had to see incense burning on an everyday altar, the dashboard of a taxi cab, to confirm that a spiritual life did not necessarily mean becoming a nun. I remember again sitting in a large circle of gratitude with 50 or so Indonesians, leading it with just four Americans. It was the first true spontaneous experience of everyone there sharing from the heart. Only then did I return to Turtle Island and discover the Circle Way, the Council, an everyday ceremonial way of life that had been here all along. I had to first, it seems, again in hindsight, travel by bike over the entire west coast of Ireland in my 20s to discover the circles there, in the stones, in the bones of the land, in the cells of my ancestors. 
I had not yet found it in daily life here in the U.S. of A. It wasn't until I was shocked by apartheid in South Africa that I turned around to see what was really going on in my own country. It wasn't until I met indigenous peoples in the outback of Australia that I realized the extent of genocide, deforestation, suppression of ceremonial life right under my nose. I mean, come on. I had to take a job with development work overseas before I was convinced that such westernization practices and educations was having devastating effects on other cultures. I was definitely a slow transformer. Even though I had been part of protests in the 60s against the wars, injustices, industries of extraction, I still had not incorporated the hard truths into my body fully. How could I? Such awareness would inevitably lead to a breaking down of what and all I had been born into, raised to believe, what my family had worked for, what my teachers had taught me was progress, what my country's leaders claimed about where I was living. We were the greatest nation on earth. Deep change at the root, at a mythic level, did not come easy. To die to what I think I knew, to let go of story, to enter the unknown, it took time, ceremony, and so much more. Dolphin legends, prophecies, and my own experience to help me begin again. And yes, there was quite some help from nature in these journeys, many with only water, some with enthogens as well. LSD-guided sessions with blindfolds, ketamine in a teepee and in a pool of water, psilocybin in a variety of amounts and settings, peyote with a Native American church, ayahuasca with a Peruvian shaman, not so many times, not on a regular basis, but just enough to keep me here at key turning times to release some, if not all, of the anxiety, rage, and fear around death, suffering, and extinction. Slowly, ever so slowly, continuing to leave behind the culture and the country, the worldview in which I was raised, reality as I had known it, I found more of what I was longing for, home in the heart of everyday prayer, action, and life. I remember inviting Kate Bunny to come from Portugal to this land, to Paiuhunadu, to participate in a training I was offering for community leaders a ceremony we then named the Nature of Council. Each day, participants would walk from the Tinamaha campground two miles down along the creek to the Three Creeks Oasis, where we would meet. It was on one of those walks that Kate saw others walking, carrying a prayer for and with water. 
She knew nothing of the water issues in this valley. She knew nothing of the ceremonies of indigenous peoples or water protectors on Turtle Island. When she asked me about what she had experienced, I suggested she go and learn more about where she was, the valley's history, the water story, and then to return if she still felt strongly about what had happened. A year later, Kate came back and was confirmed that what she had seen needed and wanted to happen. She asked if I would help. Though I knew nothing of water walks on Turtle Island, I did know it essential to share her story with the Big Pine tribe, to ask their guidance, their permission to call for such a walk, now envisioned to go the entire watershed all the way to Los Angeles. That was the start of walking water, and we continued to move with the prayer of restoring relations, not because someone told us or we even learned of others or took the idea from Native Americans. The knowing to do such and offer such simply came from and through attention. The walk on the land, the ceremony, a time walking with water. Today is the fourth gathering for an international alliance to defend the sacred, a shared ceremonial time in different lands and communities to be in silence, fasting and prayer. It seems a good time to come to an end of these streamings. I continue from here to live into the question, how to do such, defend the sacred, and really, how to live into such, to know, honor, and cultivate a relationship with the sacred, with beauty, love, truth. I am grateful to be connected to others with such attention.